Good morning, everyone. It is real good to be together, sing together, to worship the Lord together, and now to look to God's Word. If you're visiting with us today, welcome to Calvary Baptist. My name is Russell, and uh, I uh, serve on uh, staff here at uh, Calvary uh, with Mile One Mission. Mile One Mission aims to plant uh, churches in uh, neighborhoods and communities here in the greater St. John's area that currently have little or no gospel witness. And so if you'd like to learn more about Mile One Mission and uh, what Calvary is doing to plant churches, uh, visit our website, mileonemission.ca, and uh, you'll find out all you need to, uh, need to know about what we're doing in church planting. But it's good to be here, good to share God's Word. At the heart of our Bible reading today is a gracious invitation. In fact, I think this invitation is the most precious and meaningful invitation that you will ever receive in your lifetime. Now, I've got a feeling some of you have received a lot of invitations in your lifetime. Maybe some you wish you didn't receive, but we've all received invitations. This is an invitation, a very precious invitation, and this gracious invitation will come as welcome news to anyone who feels fatigued or mentally exhausted, those with worn-out hearts. This invitation is relevant to those who feel dejected, and loaded down with burdens. For those who feel like you're living under a crushing weight of trying to measure up or trying to prove your worth and and trusting in your own effort to kind of hold things together. And so I invite you to listen carefully to this invitation as we turn together in our scripture text and read Matthew chapter 11 verses 25 to 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. The scripture says that at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May God bless the reading of his word. What an invitation. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Now, before we work through this text, I want us to note something significant about this particular invitation. And I want you to understand that this invitation is not to a sacred location 
or a special event. This is not an invitation to a philosophy or a set of ideas. It's not an invitation to a system of morality. This is an invitation to a person. And the invitation is to come to a person. And the striking reality is that by coming to this person, those who are weary and worn out find rest, find refreshment. So let's work through the text. Look at verses 25 and 26 there. If you have your your Bible open or your, your Bible app open there, verses 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, This verse helps us put this gracious invitation in context. The gospel writer says in verse 25 that at that time, Jesus declared. And so right away, we know that this gracious invitation in verse 28 is rooted in a specific context. At that time. And and we'll also note that the word declare that's used in verse 25 simply means to, to, to answer. In fact, the, the, same, the same Greek word is used many times throughout the Gospels. For example, it says Jesus answered, or John answered, or Peter and John answered. And, and so the word declared simply means to answer. And so when, when Matthew says that at that time Jesus declared, he simply means that Jesus is offering a response to something And in this case, Jesus is offering a response to the context of what has come earlier in this chapter. So just just look up um, to the beginning of chapter 11 as we just kind of set this context here. We know know that Jesus has just finished... uh, has just finished up a teaching time with his 12 disciples before resuming his preaching and teaching ministry. And this was often a pattern for Jesus. He would, he would have this itinerant preaching, teaching ministry through cities and villages, and, and then would have other times when he would come aside with his disciples and, and teach them. And so here, Jesus is about to resume his, his preaching and teaching ministry, and, and we get insight into the nature of, of his preaching, teaching ministry earlier in Matthew's gospel, We could go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, where it says that he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In in Matthew 9, verse 34, it says Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so following the resumption of Jesus' preaching, teaching ministry... We're then introduced to the, the confusion and doubt of John the Baptist. Many of us will know that John the Baptist had a very unique calling to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And, but here in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel, we enter into the somewhat surprising reality that John himself is is confused and full of doubts about who Jesus really is. And and he's asking the question, you know, are you really the one? 
In, in fact, chapter 11 and, and the next, chapter 12, the, these two chapters are dominated by people's growing doubts and, and rejection and even hostility towards Jesus. And, and as you read down through this chapter, you get the sense that people are confused and some are offended. Others are resistant and many are, are unrepentant. And then at verse 20... You'll note that this unrepentant attitude toward Jesus is further demonstrated as Jesus begins to call out cities that had witnessed Jesus perform mighty works, but still refused to repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so in in this context, we transition to verse 25 where the gospel writer Matthew says that at that time, Jesus answered. And so it becomes clear that the response of Jesus that that includes this gracious invitation is linked to the the context of resistance to the gospel of the kingdom. It linked to the, the confusion and the doubt surrounding the person and work of Jesus and linked to the unrepentant posture of people. This gracious invitation is in in response to people who were looking past Jesus, looking beyond Jesus, and those who are not fully understanding who he was and what he came to do. And so we have in the text I read, Jesus responds with with prayer to God the Father, and, and through this prayer, we enter into this kind of remarkable dialogue between Jesus the Son and God the Father. And as David Platt writes, reading these verses, you sense yourself treading on holy ground as you, as you glimpse the inner workings of, of the Trinity. And, and Jesus expresses thankfulness for how the gospel of the kingdom was being revealed to people. And you'll note an important contrast here between the wise and understanding and little children. Let's read it again, verses 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. For yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, it's an interesting contrast, isn't it? It's interesting because at face value, the text seems to look down upon those who are wise and intelligent. And I mean, we would think that wisdom and intelligence are are good things, good life qualities. But the wise and intelligent here cannot understand the gospel of the kingdom. They cannot understand the message that Jesus has been preaching, God's gospel. And so how do you you make sense of that? I think there's there's sufficient evidence throughout the scriptures that help us understand the kind of wisdom that stands as a barrier to coming to understand the gospel. And what is under the surface here is the posture of one's heart and mind. And that those who cannot see the beauty of God's gospel are those 
who are trusting in their own wisdom and understanding. They are those who esteem themselves to be wise and learned. They are those who are enamored with their own learning. We could go to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 21, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Romans chapter 12, verse 16, encourages us to, to never be wise in your own sight. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so in contrast to those who are in love with their own learning, in contrast to that are little children. Now, generally speaking, kids are quite humble and trusting and dependent. And I'm sure, you know, especially those of you who have kids or grand, grandchildren, you know, you can think of how dependent little children are upon parents and adults in general. We, we can all think of kids, you know, or climbing up on, on, on some high thing and without notice, you know, just jumping off, expecting you to catch them. And then, I, I, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I thought of as I was a child, and I had this, this image in my mind of, you know, during the winter, which is usually any time except July. But, but during, during the winter, you know, and putting on a winter jacket, and, and mom would just take up the jacket, hold it out, and all I had to do was just kind of put my arms in, into the sleeves. We're just, just that the dependence that children have upon adults. And, and that's the imagery here that Jesus is, is stirring up. You, you have, on the, on the one hand, those who are in love with their learning, who are enamored with their own wisdom and their self-sufficiency, and on the other hand, the, the, the humble, simple dependence of little children. That, that's, that's the imagery. That's the contrast. And so I suppose we could say that the contrast here is really between self-sufficiency and humble trust in another. The self-sufficient are those who think themselves too wise, too smart, too intelligent for God, while people like, little, like the little children are those who they know their true need and they know who can meet that need. And I suppose we might say that if you want to know God, to truly know God, that pride cannot be the ruling principle in your life. Now, look at verse 27. This, this is an important verse. Verse 27 says, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And, and I hope we're beginning to see the progression here in the text, that we're being called, we're being invited into humble trust in another, and specifically, humble trust in Jesus. 
The text is moving towards this gracious invitation from Jesus, moving towards this magnificent, rest-filled relationship that Jesus and Jesus alone makes possible. And so if that's the case, then it must matter deeply who Jesus is. And that's why we have verse, and that's why verse 27 is so important and, and could really be an entire sermon on its own. And so let's note several things about, about this verse. Jesus is addressing the confusion about his identity. And John, John the Baptist was doubting it. The crowds were missing it. Verse 27 speaks of the eternal relationship between Jesus and God the Father. The exclusive communion between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And, and the, 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 the biographer, biographer Matthew recording Jesus' words is telling us that Jesus is the Father's only Son. Jesus knew the Father and only the Father knew Him. And we're being told that there exists between God the Father and God the Son, a uniquely intimate relationship that our Creator God, our Heavenly Father, is revealed fully and finally only by Jesus Christ. And again, we, we have this in the context of many people who are looking beyond Jesus. And what we need to understand is that Jesus unequivocally describes Himself as the only way that we can approach God the Father, that there is no other way. The way to relationship with God the Father is through the person of Jesus. This is the Father's will. Jesus is the only way to the Father, and God reveals himself to people through the person of Jesus. In his uh, lectures on Galatians, Martin Luther said to the divinity students under his uh, tutelage, he said this, he said, stop speculating about the Godhead and climbing into heaven to see who or what or how God is. Hold on to this man, Jesus. He is the only God we've got. Yes, friends, in Jesus, we have the knowledge of the glory of God. And this is the great truth that needs to be revealed to us today. This is the great truth that we want, that we're praying to be revealed to the hearts and lives of, of people here in this neighborhood and in the neighborhoods where we're planting churches. It's Jesus' identity as the pre-existent, eternal Son of God that gives meaning to the invitation that comes next. This is the platform from which comes the most welcoming and encouraging invitation ever offered to humanity. And it is only as we understand the exclusivity and the uniqueness of Jesus that we can find meaning in this Simple, straightforward invitation. Verses 28 and 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you are receiving this invitation on Facebook, 
you would want to click going and share without a doubt. You, you, you want in on this invitation. Who, who are those who are laboring and, and who are those who are burdened down? And what are they burdened down with? Well, this passage is, is often applied to people who are burdened or weighed down by life in general. And, and that's a good secondary application, I suppose. But, but that's not the primary application. The primary application is that Jesus is talking about those who are weary and worn out from self-sufficiency, from self-righteous achievement, from self-focused success. You know, remember what's being contrasted here. Self-sufficiency and humble trust in another. And so the immediate context of the invitation is to those who are oppressed by the burden of religious legalism that was imposed upon people by the religious leaders of the day. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Scripture says in reference to the religious leaders that they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders... But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And so Jesus is is speaking into this this religious landscape where people are burdened down with with laws and rules and regulations and commandments. And there's this preoccupation with with regulations and rules and and into this context of abstracting the law of God from the context of relationship and Speaking into this, this idea of, of, of the keeping of God's law as the end in itself. This legalistic demands aimed at earning favor with God. This self-imposed work. And maybe there are those here this morning and you, you feel like that. That you, you feel weary from the constant pressure of somehow you think you have to earn God's acceptance. You have to earn God's approval. All of this, I suppose, could be summed up with the phrase, the yoke of the law. And Jesus was talking to people who understood this this Pharisaic yoke. This was the yoke of the Jewish law, the heavy burden of the Jewish law with all of its commands and Pharisaic interpretations. And this kind of religion, this works-based, performance-based religion is wearying. And it brings fatigue. Because you keep doing and doing. And you keep trying harder and harder. But the maddening part of this false religion is that you never get to the place where you're able to check every box and just rest. It's this treadmill of comparison and performance. And, and, and the more you, you, you do so much more, but you never feel like you're measuring up. And so adding the yoke of this false religion, trying to be good enough so that God will accept you, adding that to the fatigue that comes from just living life itself results in this crushing load, this this heavy burden. And so you've picked up there that we have this imagery of a yoke. 
in the text. And it's not all that common to us in our lifestyle, or at least not to me. But we most likely have some understanding here. You know, the yoke was an instrument for work. It's a wooden frame placed upon shoulders to make a load or, or a burden easier to carry, and distributing the weight in, in equal proportions to both sides. And, and so it's interesting that the invitation to rest, though, it's, it's interesting that the invitation to people who are burdened down with heavy loads also involves a yoke. It involves an instrument of work. And so what, what Jesus is offering here is an exchange of yokes. Jesus is saying, let me exchange that heavy, burdensome, religious yoke for the restful refreshment of my yoke. It's a different kind of yoke. In fact, Jesus says that, he says his yoke, in contrast, is easy and the burden of his yoke is light. And, and here is an important distinction, I think. That what happens in, in religion is that demands are placed upon you, but without adequate empowerment to obey. And so the, the, the mantra becomes, just try harder. The mantra is just a call to greater moral effort, greater moral improvement. Just try harder. Come on, pull up your bootstraps and try again. And try harder. And try harder. But in contrast to this try harder religion is the gospel of God's grace where instead of just trying harder to meet a perceived morality that God will accept, we are called to turn to and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. We are invited to throw ourselves on the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And we give him, we give him the full weight of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings and all of our failures, and he gives us the full pardon of all of our sins. Jesus does not make us more improved people. He makes us into new creations in God. And the beauty of this invitation is that Jesus offers a yoke, yeah, but it is a yoke rooted in relationship, a saving relationship, a disciple relationship, where we graciously get to learn from Jesus. We learn from Jesus, who is gentle and lowly in heart. And the hope of Jesus' invitation is that in Jesus, there is true soul rest. There is rest for the weariness that comes from always trying to measure up, to impress God and to impress people. And we can rest in the fact that Jesus obeyed the law fully. 
The law that we could not obey. And so when we come to him, we rest with peace before God because Jesus met the perfect demands of the law on our behalf. Well, how, how does this great exchange happen? Quite simply, it happens by, again, coming to Jesus. You're invited to a person. We might say that Jesus is in fact saying, stop trying to do life on your own and come to me. Stop basing your value on things outside of Jesus. Wherever you are relying on your own efforts, however you are trying to find value and worth on your own or by what you do, you are doing life outside of Jesus. And Jesus simply and graciously says, come to me. Come to me and exchange your yoke. This this is a yoke exchange. John Bloom writes and says that in the cross... Jesus takes our inconceivably and unbearably heavy yoke of sin's condemnation and penalty and offers us in exchange the easy yoke and light burden of simply trusting him. He does all the work and we get all the rest. And his work not only fully addresses our sin problem, but also provides the supply of every other need we'll ever have. This is an invitation to those worn out, but also to those who are wearied and everyone who's been hurt, burdened, and weighed down by life's troubles. Jesus says, come to me, for there is no trouble or trial too insignificant or too great. Now, you know, as, as, we, as we close, I, I want to be clear that Jesus is offering us a yoke. And the nature of any yoke is that a yoke does restrict and it guides. So we're, we're, not, we're not being called to a, you know, a, a life of, of no restraint. No, Jesus invites us into a new creation lifestyle that is rooted in a grace-based learning relationship with Jesus where he empowers us to obey. We're empowered to obey with the very strength of Jesus. And so we rest. We rest because Christ is leading. And we rest because Jesus is guiding. And he is enabling. And he is teaching. And he has secured our permanent relationship with God. And so we repent and we trust and we rest and rejoice. What, what a glorious, precious gospel. And Jesus says this gospel is revealed to those who are like little children. Those who are humble enough to trust in someone else, to trust in Jesus. And I would suggest to us that the rest that our soul needs is the rest that comes only by being in a relationship with God through Jesus. Jesus says, take my yoke and learn from me. And I kind of believe that the primary thing Jesus teaches us and is always teaching us is how to rest 
in him. It's how to rest in the gospel. It's how to rest in all that Christ has done for us. And it's only when we see God's kingdom and the rest that is found in the gospel that we can truly be free. I love what Ray Ortland says when he says this. That the sacred center of Christianity is Christ himself coming personally to the person coming directly to the mediator. No one but Jesus can call us with such authority. And no one but Jesus can encourage us with such a promise. And no one else can give us rest. If our primary purpose in church is to connect with one another, that's what we'll get, one another. And we'll end up angry. Only Jesus gives us rest. If we will put him first and come to him first, then we'll have something to give to one another. If our primary purpose in church is outreach and mercy and justice, we'll end up exhausted. Only Jesus gives us rest. And if we'll put him first and come to him first, we'll be renewed for endless mission. There are as many false and disappointing centers as there are impulses in our hearts. Everything else, my friends, will let us down. Everything. Only one has ever said and can ever say, Come to me and I will give you rest. And the good news today, friends, is that his offer stands. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it, but he gives us. He gives it. And he does come first. The gospel is the greatest news of all. And the yoke of Jesus teaches us that you don't have to be perfect because Christ is. And you don't have to be strong because Christ is. And his power is made perfect in your weakness. And you don't have to have all the answers because Jesus does and he leads us gently one step at a time. And and you don't have to perfectly love because Jesus does. And you don't have to be righteous because Jesus is and you stand before God in his righteousness, perfectly whole, completely forgiven. And you don't have to carry the weight of your burdens because Jesus is. He carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And I am confident he can carry you. There's no need to run this morning. There's no need to hide. No need to try to conceal your sin or your shortcomings. Bring it all. Bring all you are and ever hope to be to Jesus, the one who says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Would you bow with me for prayer? Lord Jesus, what a a, a glorious, precious invitation. 
And uh, Lord, I would pray for those of us who, um, who are serving you and who know you that we would never take that invitation for granted and that we will be, that we'll come to a fresh understanding and a fresh appreciation for the wonder of this gracious invitation. Lord, if there are those here today in this moment who are somehow trusting in their own righteousness, who are living a self-sufficient life, trying to do things on their own, trying to, trying to uh, somehow earn your favor and approval, I pray that right now they will hear this invitation from your word, from Jesus, and that they in this moment will turn to you in faith and turn to you and find the rest that you have graciously offered. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this invitation. May we all continually learn to rest in what you have done. Lord, may you continue to be the center, the center of our lives, the center of our church, the center of all we do. Lord, for your glory and honor, in Jesus' name. Amen.